Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Is former President Donald Trump in the legal clear, at least with regard to the so-called Manhattan District Attorney? I mean, that's the picture that I'm gleaning from recent events. And the New York Times had a deep dive in the last couple of days under the headline, How the Manhattan DA's Investigation into Donald Trump Unraveled. It talks about Alvin Bragg. He's the new guy. He followed Cyrus Vance Jr., having a particular meeting in his office, trying to make determinations about the future of the investigation. And I'll read one paragraph and then welcome a special guest. Mr. Bragg, whose office is conducting the investigation, along with lawyers working for New York's Attorney General Letitia James, had not taken issue with Mr. Dunn and Mr. Pomerantz presenting evidence to the grand jury in his first days as district attorney, But as the weeks passed, he developed concerns about the challenge of showing Mr. Trump's intent, a requirement for proving that he criminally falsified his business records and about the risks of relying on the former president's one-time fixer, Michael D. Cohen, as a key witness. I read it and I wondered, I wonder what Michael Cohen thinks. Michael Cohen is, of course, the former attorney and personal fixer for Donald Trump. He is the host of a hit podcast, which is called Mea Culpa with Michael Cohen, and he joins me now. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for being here. It sounds like they worried about you as a witness and whether you could get them over the finish line. Well, okay, you know, there are so many things to unpack here, Mike, and thanks for having me on. Um, You know, look, many people have stated, and it's been recorded after the New York Times article, that if Alvin Bragg fails to indict based on all of the evidence in his possession, Not only would it be a dereliction of duty on his part, but it would also constitute political suicide, basically ensuring that he becomes a one-term DA. So the fact that they're relying upon, oh, Michael Cohen, his testimony may not be, you know, may not be accurate simply because Donald and the GOP during the House Oversight Committee decided to label me as what? A convicted liar. I don't want, like, like with the House Oversight Committee, I don't want you to take my word for it. Take a look at the documentary evidence that I provided. Look, Mike, I I really want to break this down for you. I was interviewed by the district attorney 15 times, 15, three of them while I was incarcerated in Otisville. I have provided the district attorney's office approximately 10,000 documents. I, of all people, 
I know what they have. And in fact, I really truly believe this. If they would have indicted, if Alvin Bragg did what he was supposed to do and listened to people like Pomerantz and Dunn, according to the New York Times article, there's a highly probable rate of conviction for Donald Trump. Then, then what's going on here? So, look, I can only say it this way. It's one of three things and only one of three things. First and foremost, one, which I don't think it is. I think Alvin Bragg is incompetent, that he doesn't know what he's doing. And I don't think that that's the answer. Number two would be something like he's self-motivated. I don't know. Did somebody maybe get to him? Is he afraid of the case and believes that it could hurt his future, his political career? Or number three, something I talk about my may, on my Maya Culpa podcast all the time. You know this, right? As well as a book that I intend to publish in the next couple of months. Maybe more than anything, Alvin Bragg and the group are afraid that if I take the stand, I will then have a platform to expose the Southern District of New York and the Department of Justice's intentional and improper mishandling of my case, which also included, as you're well aware, of the unconstitutional remand of me back to prison because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment constitutional right. Michael, why would he care? Why would he care? Why would he care about that? Each other. Because they protect each other. All right. Can I give you somewhere along the line? Maybe he was told that they need to do this. Can I give you a fourth possible scenario? The fourth possible scenario is that the issue is whether Trump used his financial statements to deceive lenders about his net worth. And maybe because nobody got hurt, those banks actually made money. They just think it's a case they can't win. Okay, well, let's take a look, for example, at my case, then I can only use it. You know what? Let me not even talk about my case. Let me put it to you this way. It's not a question of whether or not anybody was hurt. Judge Pauly, in my specific case, turned around and stated that even with the tax evasion claims, which I refute, but the tax evasion cases, not a single person or institution had ever lost a single dollar with Michael Cohen. Now, that's Judge Pauly's comments. Not even my own. All right. So it's not an issue of whether or not you somebody loses money. It's an issue of the fact that you provided false statements to a banking institution in order to obtain maybe a better rate. So maybe they did lose money. Right. Or that maybe they would not have maybe they would have not made the loan. But for that information. So it's a misrepresentation that, that you, maybe you can't quantify how much money was or was not lost. But rest assured, they have interviewed more than enough people, more than enough people who have stated that it was Donald Trump's intent. OK, Michael, and can docu- I, let me come at it from a different angle. Let me let me come at it from a different angle. How about if to your point about how exhaustive this investigation has been when all is said and done? This is let me I'll be the skeptic. This is all they got. They got some some inflating his net worth. We all know he's a bullshitter. And and what? Some fringe benefit stuff against uh, the CFO Weisselberg. After all that money and all that invest and the Supreme Court gave you the tax records. You can't do better than this. Well, I'm not so sure that that's the only thing that we're talking about. There's about one hundred and seventy million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, money that was 
paid to Donald Trump in terms of tax refunds based upon um, improper uh, tax schemes that were that were done, uh, including overvaluating the property and then providing uh, easements or providing uh, certain pieces of worthless uh, property at the back of the property, um, you know, as conservation easements and taking, say, $10 million an acre when, you know, at best it was worth $50,000 an acre. There's much more here than just simply, oh, it's a ticky-tack type of a violation. It is not. And I don't think that people know the full extent of the information that was going to be used. You know, for example, yes, I agree with you. Oh, so what? He bullshitted about his net worth. And we all agree with you, Mike, that he doesn't tell the truth. He doesn't tell the truth about anything. But that's not the issue here. The issue here is that if that was happening to you, because it happened to me, you go to prison for it. You get indicted for it and then let his lawyers fight it out about being a ticky-tack type of a case. But he broke the law. And All if right, we're me, going to stand by the adage that no one is above the law, then he needs to be held this. accountable. It's not just him. It's others as well. So how about the idea that maybe they misjudged, and, and you know him well, Alan Weisselberg, maybe they thought he was going to flip and he didn't. And that the whole premise was, we'll, we'll get him by prosecuting him. And they couldn't do that. Is, do you think that was a big factor? No, because it's not just Alan Weisselberg is not the keystone to the indictment and the and the conviction of Donald Trump. It's the documentary evidence and it's the multitude of individuals who have already provided corroborating testimony, who have firsthand knowledge, myself included, that would ultimately be the end of, you know, Trump's reign of Teflon. All right, let me come at it from a different way. By the way, th- thanks for being so gracious in, in allowing me to, to pound you with my cross-examination. If you know, case... Mike, I was going to say the same thing. It is kind of <laughs> gracious of me, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> uh, Wait till uh, I see you, buddy. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required 
accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Smirconish, NetSuite.com slash Smirconish, NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Um, so let me ask you this. If the case is so locked down as Michael Cohen would have us believe, then why didn't Cyrus Vance Jr. bring it? You know, that's a great question. As we know, what he did bring was the case in the indictment against Alan Weisselberg. But people forget that he also indicted the Trump organization. Uh, and so Donald's not out of the woods simply because he himself is not being personally indicted. His company, which his eponymous company, which is really nothing more than an extension of him. He is the company and the company is him. Why Cy Vance didn't do it? I don't know. Do I wish that he did? Yes. Do I, am I 100% certain that both Mark Pomerantz and uh, Carrie Dunn wish that he had done it as well and not leave it in the hands of Alvin Bragg? Yes. But I think he was trying to be politically astute when he went ahead and decided that being that it was so close to his leaving, um, that he would allow Alvin Bragg the opportunity to bring the indictment himself instead of inheriting this much larger picture. Hey, Michael, uh, another thing that you're uniquely qualified to speak to, because you know intimately the way that business is structured, I've always thought of it, having educated myself and followed things that you say, that despite the way that the former president seeks to portray it, it's, it's really a big mom and pop, very close family held. And from the sidelines, I look at him under assault from the January 6th committee, from the trial lawyers now litigating January 6th cases. Keep your eye on that one. From what we're talking about, Alvin Bragg, and also from Letitia James. And even if these things ultimately don't go anywhere, doesn't it have to be bleeding incredible resources and time to be defending on all these fronts at once? And how do you think he's doing that? Okay, so the answer is yes, it is, but only as it relates to time. Donald what do you mean? is incredible because Donald is incredibly cheap. He never parts with his own money. And so what he's doing is he's bleeding his sycophantic followers out of money. He's raised, what, two, $250 million from stupid people that are constantly donating? Every day I have friends who signed up just so that they can tell me and they keep texting me, oh, we just got another, we just got another, we just got another request for a donation, you know, to, to Trump this, to Trump that, to this. I mean, it's really crazy. And these people keep giving it. Moreover, 
he manages to somehow get the RNC to pay many of his bills as well. I mean, Donald, look, you have to remember, Donald in his pocket is like First Avenue here in Manhattan. It goes only one way, and that's in. He hates to pay any money out. Just ask Rudy Colludi Giuliani. He's not paying his legal bills either. And what I was going to say, do you think Donald he's paying? Promised, oh, I'm going to pay your bills. Bullshit. Do you think he's? Do you think he's paying for any of the attorneys, or or are, are they? Is he getting all that gratis pro bono? I believe. Well, the lawyers are not working for him pro bono, but I do believe that the bills are being paid outside mm-hmm. of monies from the Trump organization. Trump organization took a massive financial beating. First of all, when it comes to, for, uh, let's say, the clubs, there are so many people that walked away from these clubs because they don't want to be associated. Like if you invited me to a Trump club, I'm not going. I despise the man. And there's 65, 68% of the country that feels the same. So they're not doing the same as far as um, uh, banquets. They're not doing the same regarding membership. Um, there's basically nothing going on other than now, of course, this new venture that he has run by Devin Nunes, which is a freaking joke in and of itself, truth, right? Which is supposed to now compete against Twitter with some crazy valuation of $3 billion, despite the fact it's not even up and operational. I mean, that's a first in U.S. history as well. How, how far you have come? Do you remember giving me a raft of shit about my coverage on CNN when this all began? Oh, yeah, you, were, you can tell. Listen, you, were, you were like the hitman. You were the guy sent out because I had said some things that rubbed him the wrong way. Well, you, you never want last Stormy. You don't want to rub him the wrong way. But my point being, when it comes to <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when it comes to Donald, right, I want you to understand this. And I want all you listeners, because I, I talk about this ad nauseum on, um, you know, on mea culpa, ad nauseum. Donald Trump became the worst version of himself when he ultimately became president of the United States. Before that, he was this small, you know, um, mom and pop, as you described it, real estate company. He was but a, a, a millimeter of the real estate enterprises here in just New York alone. He was always an ass, but that's besides the point. There was no time that anything that we did. This was during the campaign. Who knew the second that he got behind the Lincoln desk in the Oval Office that he would want to not be president of the United States, not to do things like we all hoped would be beneficial to the country, but rather to become an autocrat, a dictator, a monarch, the supreme leader of the United States. Nobody, especially me. And and, and on, I keep saying on my program that if he wants the nomination, if he's healthy, solvent and unindicted, he cannot be stopped from having the nomination. Hey, I got to roll because I'm keeping my eye on the president with, a, with an announcement about oil. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea culpa. I said it three times. That is your podcast. And uh, I wish you good things with it. This, thank you, Mike. And I hope to see you soon. You will. That's Michael Cohen, ladies and gentlemen. Got the uh, the hit podcast going for him. Never holds back. Now you know where. Uh, oh yeah, he he was he was the guy that was sort of dispatched to deal with me. Right, right. We heard you. <laughs> oh man. This is the Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. 
Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash Smirconish, netsuite.com slash Smirconish, netsuite.com slash Smirconish. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. First of all, survey results from yesterday at Smirconish.com. Big voting yet again. All these Ukrainian survey questions are getting a lot of result. Is wall-to-wall coverage of the war in Ukraine due more to the race of the combatants or the risk of nuclear war, 69.51% said it's nuclear war, 30.49% said it's about race. Today's survey question, should Poland transfer its MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine despite Russian warnings that it would be seen as a provocation? I mean, here's the very short version. Ukraine needs the fighter jets. Poland and the United States want them to have them. The issue is how to get it done without provoking Putin. It seems like a a shell game of sorts. I mean, I keep asking, what difference does it make if we directly hand them over or go through this elaborate transfer process? He's going to know they're coming from us. And at some point, if you're handing over fighter jets, is it really different than who flies them? As I came on radio air this morning, here was the situation according to Politico Playbook. A proposal to provide fighter jets to Ukraine is in complete disarray after the Biden administration vetoed an attempt by Poland to hand over a fleet of MiG-29 planes to the Ukrainian Air Force. Poland had initially said that it was placing the jets at the disposal of the U.S. to give them to Ukraine free of charge so that it could increase its defenses against the Russian invasion. But overnight, Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby issued a statement flatly rejecting the plan amid concerns that it would effectively draw NATO into a direct conflict with Russia. So that's the dance that we are going through, how to be supportive, but not so supportive that NATO is drawn in and Putin sees it as an act of provocation. I'm asking at Smirconish.com today whether that transfer, however it gets done, should get done despite 
Putin's warning that this would be seen as a provocation. So I've got a couple of different uh, sources. NBC News was one. CNN's coverage was another that are posted in today's daily Smirkanish.com newsletter. TC? Another one from Smirkanish.com newsletter. This one via Radio Free Europe. The headline, McDonald's to close restaurants in Russia says conflict has caused unspeakable suffering. The global fast food chain McDonald's has announced it is temporarily closing all 850 locations inside Russia as the number rises of Western businesses that abandoned Russia after its unprovoked invasion of neighboring Ukraine. Quote, the conflict in Ukraine and the humanitarian crisis in Europe has caused unspeakable suffering to innocent people, McDonald's CEO Chris Komzinski said in a statement obtained by Radio Free Europe. McDonald's has decided to temporarily close all our restaurants in Russia and pause all operations in the market, the statement said. The burger giant said it will continue to pay its 62,000 employees in Russia, quote, who have poured their heart and soul into our McDonald's brand. Well, the Russians may try and squelch word of what's really transpiring in Ukraine, but surely the Russian people will notice the absence of the Golden Arches and Starbucks for that matter. I made sure that this story was posted in the newsletter today for a variety of reasons. Number one, because it's very significant. All of the news about American businesses pulling out, ceasing their operations is significant. But there's an additional reason here. Thomas Friedman, Tom Friedman, the three-time Pulitzer Prize winner from the New York Times, who was a guest of mine on CNN just last Saturday, wrote a column in 1996. And it's one of these columns, you know, there, there aren't too many like it where events happen in the world and you find yourself gravitating back and rereading what was said at the time. This was under the headline, Foreign Affairs Big Mac. And he apparently was at Hamburger University. I, I remember speaking in Chicago just before COVID hit uh, at a city winery that was across the street from Hamburger University. I presume that's where he was. In other words, it's it's the McDonald's educational facility. And he said, uh, I've had this thesis for a long time, and I came here to Hamburger University at McDonald's headquarters to test it out. The thesis is this. No two countries that both have a McDonald's have ever fought a war against each other. This is Friedman in 1996. He said, the McDonald's folks confirmed it for me. I feared the exception would be the Falklands War, but Argentina didn't have its first McDonald's until 1986, four years after that war with Britain. Civil wars don't count. McDonald's in Moscow delivered burgers to both sides in the fight between pro and anti Yeltsin forces in 1996. Further along, he quotes James Cantalupo, the president of McDonald's International, its de facto secretary of state, with what might be behind the Golden Arches theory of conflict prevention, which stipulates that when a country reaches a certain level of economic development, when it has a middle class big enough to support a McDonald's, it becomes a McDonald's country. And people in McDonald's countries don't like to fight wars. They like to wait in line for burgers. Or as Mr. Cantalupo put it, we focus our development on the more well-developed economies, those that are growing and those that are large, and the risks involved in being adventuresome for those growing economies are probably getting too great. So perhaps I think there have been some exceptions since Friedman wrote this in 1996, but it would appear that the McDonald's theory of conflict ends with what's going on, Russia invading Ukraine. 
Headline from USA Today, gas prices jump eight cents one day after breaking record. Diesel prices now highest ever. Uh Uh-oh. One day after the record for the average cost of gas nationwide was broken, prices at the pump continued to climb on Wednesday, jumping an average of eight cents. The national average for regular gallon of gasoline is now 425, according to AAA. On Tuesday, the cost was 417, breaking the July 2008 record of 411, which would be around 525 today when adjusted for inflation. My, uh, from my home to Washington, D.C., my home outside of Philadelphia to Washington, D.C., it's 140 miles. I had a full charge. I actually went into Philadelphia, delivered my CNN show, kept driving to Washington, D.C., drove all the way home on Sunday. I did this uh, this past weekend. Um, probably cost me 20 bucks. Probably cost me $20 in terms of my charge. Hate to rub it in, but... I can't help but observe the impact this is going to have on electric vehicles, especially with an F-150 coming out that will be electrified. I'm raising my hand because I have a question. I've noticed that of some gas stations around here, there's a discrepancy even a few miles away. I don't get it. I okay, don't so are they, get are they, it. Are they just saying, oh, look. Oh, Taking advantage? Right. Are they gouging? Don't know, TC. You ask an excellent question. And we have a diesel. Joey drives a diesel. So believe me, we're keeping a close Diesels eye. will go forever. Right, I, I, but you I had gotta a, fill them up. I had a diesel. Uh, I had a diesel car with two hundred thousand miles on it, and and it was right. the it was the body, not the engine, that that caused me to have to make a change. Totally love it. That's why we have it. But the prices are going to be okay. Rising. I have a series of survey results. The first, which is predicated on what you just said, which is the rising gas prices. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Their survey taken before. The president's announcement yesterday about putting an end to foreign oil import, pardon me, Russian oil imports. 79% of Americans say they support a ban even if it means paying higher energy prices. Just 13% oppose a ban. Eric X shared with me some data yesterday about the disparate impact of rising fuel prices based on uh, your economic status. He'll be disappointed in me for doing a poor job of explaining it, but this is something that is felt the most rising fuel prices by those who can least afford it. Or said differently, it tends to be a drop in the bucket for wealthier Americans. Anyway, 79% of Americans support such a ban, even if it means paying higher prices, just 13% oppose it. Um, Quinnipiac, if if it weren't Quinnipiac, and I respect them, I don't I don't know that I would have posted this at Smirconish.com today, but I did. It's from Mediaite. It's a survey about the percentage of Americans who say they'd stay and fight if Russia invaded the U.S. And there's a sharp division according to party affiliation. 68% of Republicans would stay and fight. 57% of independents would stay and fight. 52% of Democrats would leave the United States or said differently, 40% would stay and fight. 8% said they weren't sure. So pretty big difference. And I guess it fits a stereotype of sorts, right? 68% of Republicans are staying and fighting. 57% of independents are staying and fighting. 40% of Democrats are staying in fighting. I don't know how reliable this can be, but from the Washington Post today, Posted at Smirconish.com, 58% of Russians support the invasion of Ukraine. I mean, two things. One, I, I don't know how you could get fair polling in Russia. The source is Gary Langer, a U.S.-based 
polling expert who runs a research firm, obtained the results of the study from the Russian research organizations and shared them with the Washington Post. I don't know how reliable a Russian poll can be. But secondly, I don't know how reliable it can be when the people of Russia aren't being told exactly what's going on in Ukraine. But it's interesting nonetheless. So a lot of good polling data at Smirkandish.com. Tell me about this piece about 10 questions for Natan Sharansky. Natan Sharansky. Natan Sharansky. Shira- uh, so this was from the Tablet magazine, and I was I was inclined, TC, to, to put it in the Daily Newsletter today because I interviewed Natan. Natan Sharansky is a really remarkable guy. He's a very slight guy. He's not a very tall guy, but he's a very strong guy. Uh, Russian-born, or more specifically in what was the USSR, Jewish. He is a human rights activist today. He was accused by the Russians in the midst of the Cold War, toward the end of the Cold War, as being a spy. And he was, if I say this, people may <clears throat> may remember Natan Sharansky and his place in the Cold War. But he was fa- he was very famously released on a bridge that I want to say separating East and West Germany, told me a funny story about what he was thinking and what he said to his Russian captives as they released him to walk to freedom. Uh, On the other side of the bridge was the United States ambassador to, I guess it would have been West Germany at the time. And when I, for a week, broadcast from, uh, from Jerusalem, he was a guest of mine. Uh, My Israeli host's, provided me all of these extraordinary guests, and and he was one of them. But in this interview with the tablet, I, I thought the following was, was most interesting. Uh, he talked about individuals with whom he had been in prison. Uh, here is, here, I'll just pick this up midstream. Russia is not the strongest country, and Putin is not the strongest leader in the world. In fact, Russia today is something like 3% of the world economy. NATO represents something like closer to 50%. And here it is very important to understand Putin's psychology, says Natan Sharansky, who had been imprisoned in the USSR for spying, allegedly, reportedly. From my time among criminals in prison, I know very well that the, the one who's the ringleader in the cell is not the one who's physically the strongest, but the one who is ready to use his knife. Everybody has a knife. But not everybody is prepared to use it. Putin believes that he is willing to use the knife and the West isn't. And the West can only talk even if it is physically stronger. So that's the Natan Sharansky piece. Read it from the tablet. It is posted at Smirconish.com. That is sort of all of the Ukraine related news in a nutshell. Many more stories are posted there, but but that's the essence of what you'll find today at Smirconish.com. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.